Alright, so hello everyone and welcome to today's episode. This is going to be kind of an interesting one because we're going to try to weave our way through a few different patterns of logic here to try to establish the idea that emotional immaturity leads to controlling behavior, which then leads to authoritarian tendencies. Alright, so you all set to go here, Tim? Let's get at it. Alright, so, basically the premise of our argument goes as follows. If people can't control their own emotions, then they have to start trying to control other people's behavior. And I guess you could logically extend this to the fact that when people have these controlling behaviors, they're probably going to be a little bit more sympathetic to authoritarian regimes or authoritarian policies, especially those still in their early stages. So we're going to take a look at how psychological manipulation is used on the individual level and at the group level. So let's start off here, Tim, with 10 signs of emotional immaturity. Right. So the first one is emotional escalations. And we see that when adults who act like children by expressing rage and also lots of crying and I guess other various um, intense emotions. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, rage can be interpreted as a form of um, helplessness, but in this case too, it's used as a way to control. And um, the next um, sign is blaming. So instead of taking responsibility when things go wrong, blame is placed solely on someone else for a fault or a problem. The next we'll take a look at is lies, um, which is used to get out of uncomfortable situations. Mm -hmm. Again, another trait children may typically use in order to um avoid yeah discomfort or getting in trouble or yeah because once they realize that it works then that's going to be uh, a strategy they use going forward right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um the next is name calling um which is also known as ad hominems which are attacks on another person's uh, personal traits rather than an argument mm -hmm. for example so um Adults seek to understand issues rather than use disrespectful labels. Well, yeah, because it's often easier to just attack the person themselves rather than actually addressing their argument. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or the problem which they had a part in mm -hmm. as well, right? Because often when you think you're actually in a debate with someone and they're basically opening up with ad hominems, it's basically just the debate is over before it's even began, really. Yeah gives you a good idea of the person you're you're dealing with right and yeah. included in this uh this list here we also have impulsivity uh or poor impulse control because children are going to act impulsively when they feel hurt or mad without pausing to think about other potential consequences similarly instead of listening to others viewpoints they impulsively inter uh, interpret them so they're going to assign their own kind of filter to reality when when dealing with you right so mm -hmm. adults are going to pause, resist this impulse to spew, and maybe just take a little bit of extra time to think before they speak, whereas, uh, you know, really young children don't really have that capacity yet, but they tend to grow up and develop it over time, but quite often in cases of emotional immaturity, this is just not a faculty that's ever really, uh, 
really wrestled with properly, right? Mm. So because of this, uh, they self-regulate themselves, they think through the problem, and they're seeking information to analyze opinions. And they can contain impulsive responses yeah. or knee-jerk. Yeah, there's, uh, there's that sort of, and I guess another filter, so to speak, when uh, mm. you, get, you get to think before you act. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, It's definitely a good skill to develop. So uh, this also stems from a need to be the center of attention. So there's a lot of uh, desire in everybody for what attention, affirmation, and acceptance. But when this goes a little bit too far and people base their entire sense of self-worth on the attention they gain from others, this need to be the center of attention is something that's going to manifest itself pretty readily. Yeah, and it's something they'll constantly need in order to feel that. That sense of, good. Yeah, that sense of validation, right? That yeah. That sense that they're worth something as a person. Uh and this is sort of at the root of what we would call, I guess, colloquially, this cringy behavior. You know, you see that, and you're just kind of like, mm. <laughs> you, know, you get that sort of tightening up on the inside, where you're just like, oh, that's so cringy. Mm-hmm. The, uh, that desperate kind of attention-seeking, so uh, <laughs> yeah, don't, mm. don't be that guy. Right, so next, rat bullying, which is essentially using physical power... Or manipulative tactics to dominate others, for example, yelling, insults, name-calling, any attempt to weaken another's self-esteem or get something from them. Yeah, and then we got budding narcissism. So if children or adults can get whatever they want because they're bigger, stronger, richer, uh, they become at risk for learning that the rules don't apply to them. And whichever, uh, whatever they want, they don't think just take it, right? This narcissistic tendency of thinking that rules don't apply to oneself, which allows taking whatever is wanted, may initially look like strength, but in reality it's a serious show of weakness, being unable to see beyond the self. So I think what a lot of these eight different traits are reflecting is sort of this uh, an external locus of control, in the sense where they sort of believe that their fate and all they're responsible for is sort of outside of them. Mm-hmm. And they don't really have any control over it, so they use these kind of childish tactics to try to steer the world in the direction they want it to go, rather than steering themselves in a more appropriate direction for the world. Mm-hmm. Try to manipulate ra- reality in a yeah, and you'll find that reality just it gives like zero shits about how you feel about anything. Really, it's uh, it's uh-huh. gonna just rear its ugly head. It may be patient and just wait, but it's uh, it's gonna strike back, right? Yeah. So in contrast, psychologically strong people are able to listen to others, hoping to understand another's feelings, concerns, viewpoint, preference, mm-hmm. whereas narcissists hear only themselves and are emotionally brittle as a result. And they operate like children who want to stay out and play even though dinner is on the table and in a way their mindset is, it's all about me. In the eyes of a narcissist, no one else counts. And if they don't get their way, this may result in pouting or bullying in order to do so. Mm. So yeah, you're going to see a lot of these uh, immature defenses against uh, reality. So Freud coined the term defense mechanisms uh, for ways in which individuals protect themselves and uh, in order to get what they want. So adults use defense mechanisms like listening to others' concerns as well as to their own, and then engage in collaborative problem-solving, voluntarily no less. <laughs> <laughs> These responses to difficult signal, sorry, to difficulty signals psychological maturity. So children tend to regard their best defense as a strong offense, and uh, that just doesn't really carry over very well into adulthood. 
So, you know, it might work well in football, attacking anyone who expresses a viewpoint differently. It's, uh, you know, basically going to get a full body tackle, you know, despite the fact that that's a fairly primitive defense mechanism. So uh, another one might be denial. I didn't say that or I never did that when, in fact, you know, they did. And everybody kind of knows they're (laughs) guilty of that behavior. So, uh, Mm. yeah, you can kind of see it as a little bit childlike and pretty cringy. And that leads to our next one, which is no observing ego, which is essentially the ability to see, acknowledge, and learn from our mistakes, um, an inability to observe the hypocrisy of our own behavior. So when emotionally mature adults lose their cool and express anger inappropriately, they soon after, um, with their observing ego, realize that their outburst was inappropriate. So they can see with hindsight that their behavior was out of line with their value system. And they can see if, if that action or outburst went against the value system. So it's like mm-hmm. reflection, yeah. pretty much. Yeah, the ability to sort of see the, yeah. your own hypocrisy. Yeah. And if you don't have that, it can lead to some uh, pretty childish behavior. Yeah, yeah, to watch yourself instead of going unconscious or fully impulsive, right? Right, and the reason uh, this is immature is because children haven't really internalized mature guidelines of respectful behavior towards other people, uh, and they haven't developed an ability to observe their behavior and judge what's in line and what's out of line. And they kind of see their anger as normal, especially if anger is a normal response that they've grown up with. You know, maybe mm-hmm. they see it being modeled in the adults around them and they see that, uh, you know, being angry is a good way to get what you want. So obviously they're going to try to mirror that behavior when they want to get what they want. Mm-hmm. So they might, uh, their regard to their emotional outbursts or, uh, what is this, ego... Syntonic. Syntonic, okay. And then justifying their them by blaming the other person. So in other words, I only did it because you made me. So this would be uh, externalizing your ego onto somebody else and basically saying that they had complete control over you and that's why you did what you did it's sort of the yeah. the quintessential childish behavior you know it's uh, kind of like admitting you have no agency basically for this for this you know i have agency all the other times except for this one time where you did this one thing in which case all of my agency transferred to you you caused me to smack you in the <laughs> face and then i took all my agency back so that i could blame you for it mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot of mental gymnastics so if uh, <laughs> if you can keep up with that like uh yeah well all power to you, right? Right. So next, we'll take a look at emotional immaturity and maturity. So emotional maturity can be defined as a state of emotional strength and self-control, which leads to realistic and balanced behavior. Whereas emotionally immature people are egocentric, which means that one carries from childhood the belief that other people are here to serve you regardless of their, of their needs. So maturity is essentially realizing that in reality, you're not going to always get everything you want and understanding that we are the sole person responsible for what we do and what we fail to do. So again, this falls into autonomy. and Yeah, and then that's like agency. the internal locus of control. Right? Yeah. Sort of saying, I'm responsible for my own choices and decisions. And, uh, you know, I think we, you're going to run up against a lot of those, uh, what, the hardcore determinist types? Where they sort of said, okay, well, if, like, I think Sam Harris makes this argument quite a lot, where he says things like, well, if you were in the exact same situation as that, you know, young drug dealer who has to go to prison now, if you had the exact same upbringing and the exact same environment, you would make the exact same choices. And it's like, okay, yeah, I can see those would probably be pretty strong influences, but I, 
I'm just not convinced that that refutes the concept of agency. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? Because then why is it that some people don't make those same choices and some people get out of that situation? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's it's sort of... And, They're relatively similar. Right, and, and if you deny all these people agency, how could you possibly hold them accountable for crimes? It's like, mm-hmm. well, they were just destined to do it anyway, so why would they be punished for that? You know, it's like, you don't punish <laughs> a rock for rolling down the hill. Right? It's like, it's, it's going to roll down anyway, so... Mm-hmm. I don't know, It's I find it kind of a weak argument, but... Um, emotionally immature people also have dependent relationships, so rather than it being sort of mutually beneficial in a sense they they don't really value that autonomy right so it's necessary for relationships to be based on voluntarism and freedom however the concept of autonomy is not really clear to people who are really emotionally immature so they might think doing what they want is autonomous behavior but when it comes to taking responsibility for their actions they need others to share or lighten the responsibility Mm. so it's like you know when they're talking about their accomplishments it's all me but when it's a failure or a uh, some kind of bad behavior, then it's always oh, we. It's, it's it's and I see that the social justice types do this when they talk about society. You know, oh, it's society's fault that it's this way. It's like, or maybe it's just your fault. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe stop blaming society like that. I don't like it. It's uh, too externalizing mm. to sort of say, well, I'm I'm a good person, but society is full of bad people. You know? Yeah, well, it falls into this pattern of extreme thinking and yeah. Rela- relationships between things inherently have a two-way street, right? So it's it could be both <laughs> society and you, you yeah, know. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so um, emotionally immature people are irresponsible with money, since impulsivity is a trait of immaturity. It can be expressed in how one manages their resources, driven by a desire to satisfy wants as soon as possible. There's no caution to buy things they don't um, need with money they don't have. Um, so this would be like socialists thinking that money is sort of like air, right? Like if you were to try to deny somebody air, they would think you're like a psychopath, right? Mm. But they, they don't see that money is a limited, finite resource. Yeah, rather than very plentiful. <laughs> right, it's a sort of like, well, why don't we just pay for this social program and that social program? It's It's free, it's plentiful, it's like... No, we have limitations on on what we want, but what they're hearing is like, hey, listen, there's only so much air to breathe, so we have to let some people suffocate. And that's that's the way they interpret any sort of economic argument, right? They see it as, uh, you know, you're trying to deny people basic things like air. Despite the fact that... in the same vein, they don't really objectively evaluate investments and have a hard time making long-term projections. Because of this, it's common for this type of person to find (laughs) themselves dead. And I guess on the more group level, we could talk about Something like Ontario's debt being the largest sub-sovereign debt in the world for, or I guess a a land mass and a population of our size, it uh, is on the order of something like $28,000 a person. If you were to just divvy it up, you know, the billion dollars we pay every month just in interest, I suppose when you collectivize a lot of this behavior and people become okay with debt and money borrowing and printing is so cheap, then this is kind of what you end up with. So we have a system that's great, but it's also sort of built on a house of cards because it's all borrowed mm. and printed money. Kicking the can down the road for Yeah, as far as we can, yeah. Just, uh, I'll just decide that we can just pass the buck down, down the line, right? So let's talk about some other signs of emotional immaturity, like a narrow emotional response or an inability to enter either a good or a bad mood. They have no resources for coping with anything that might be more nuanced and real. 
That might entail anger, loss, confusion, or wayward desires. So these uh, emotionally immature types appeal to the idea of robust simplicity instead, because, you know, that uh, is a lot simpler to deal with cognitively, as though the origins of all our problems might lie in thinking a little bit too much. You know, it's like, oh, well, if we just simplify it and just, you know, I don't know, have the government pay for it, then they don't have mm -hmm. to think about what a more creative solution might be. And if you collectivize this on a larger scale, then it makes it a lot easier for people to just pass the buck onto some unaccountable bureaucracy than it is to actually figure out what we do to help the weak, the sick, the elderly, the infirm, all these other mm. things. There are complicated problems to deal with, but if everyone's just like, oh, well, we'll just pay taxes and that'll solve the problem, then that nuance disappears, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah. moving on, we can talk a little bit about controlling behavior. And I want to see if we can find a few overlaps here with the emotionally immature types. So we'll start with ingratiation or flattery, the aim of influencing another by becoming more likable to the target. So if you find someone that praises you maybe a little bit excessively, more so than you might think that you're entitled to, then it, it's a little off-putting at first. Yeah. You're kind of just, it makes you feel uncomfortable, so... It yeah. could just be an attempted controlling behavior, or it could just be that the person is just super friendly and nice, but if, if they do that with everybody, I probably wouldn't think too much of it. But if you notice they're only like that with you, or perhaps only in certain circumstances with people, then you can sort of see it for what it is. It's just a, an attempt to get what they want from you. Yeah. Next, we have refusing to acknowledge that you understand their position. So if they were to make an argument, and then you were to sort of paraphrase that argument back to them, even if it's a perfect paraphrase, it is exactly what they're describing. If you don't do it in a flattering way, they're going to be like, no, no, you just don't understand what I'm saying. And it's like, no, no, I, I totally understand what you're saying. I just don't think you understand what you're saying. And yeah. they'll sort of use this ignorance as a, a way of avoiding the argument. Yeah, or getting any further yeah. with it. We're moving the discussion along. Next is silent treatment or withholding of cooperation. Yeah, so this would just be, uh, we all know what the silent treatment is. and why people tend to use it, so if you don't read their mind and give them exactly what they want, they sort of just break off emotional contact until you, I don't know, come groveling to them and get them to, uh, to come back around. Mm -hmm. um, believe they can read your mind and they expect you to read theirs. Yeah, so if, uh, if they're upset about something and they refuse to articulate what it is, it's uh, an attempt at control. You know, they want you to behave in a certain way, and they'll uh, you know withhold that cooperation until you basically figure out what's what's wrong with them. And it's not a uh, not a great strategy for for long term relationships. Mm hmm. I think this falls in with our our talk on boundaries, which is coming up next. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, the next part is black and white thinking or hyperbole. So this is thinking in all extremes with no gray area or nuance. Um. Excessive talking or asking of irrelevant questions to maintain control of the conversation. So this would be if you were to, I don't know, start to recall a tale and somebody else who wants to dominate this conversation might challenge you on a small but irrelevant detail of the story. Mm -hmm. And sort of steer the conversation completely off in that direction where it's like, oh, well, we took this road together. It wasn't that road. It was this other road. It's like, well, it doesn't really fucking matter to the conversation. So whatever. Yeah. But, but it's a, it, it is an attempt to sort of take control and... Uh, and dominate that particular interaction. Next is pretending to never understand your position or disagreeing for the sake of disagreeing. Right, so you'll see this a lot with, like, straw man arguments. 
where mm. you'll sort of make a position and they'll make a caricature of it that you're not actually like putting forward, and then they'll proceed to attack that instead. It's basically just what a straw man argument is, but it uh, it is pretty frustrating when you encounter it in real life. Yeah, they'll express in a way that misses the misses the complete point completely. Just point or principle, yeah, right over their head. And you're just like, okay, well, I don't know if you're really that dumb or if you're actually just being a dick. But either way, the result's the same. It makes for a rather dull conversation. Exactly. So, um, an over-reliance on cliché and truism to justify their behavior. So, for something like this, like, you'll get a lot of, like, talking points. Like, the same talking point you've heard every news organization reiterate. Mm-hmm. Without much, Without much thought critical or, thought, or, yeah. Or nuance or depth, or just, like, they'll just throw it out there, and you're just like, yeah, but you haven't really thought about that. Yeah, so just repeating... Yeah, Other. you know, when, when it comes to, you know, topics like uh, uh, gun control, for example, they'll just throw out some bullshit truism that completely misses the point of people's right to self-defense, but they'll say, like, you know, some statistic that justifies their position but completely ignores the statistic in other circumstances, and it's mm-hmm. it, it becomes kind of annoying, especially if they haven't actually heard anything other than those things, and that's why they're completely convinced of their position. Because they just mm-hmm. haven't been exposed to any other arguments whatsoever, and when they then they are, they're just they don't know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if they're if they're I guess a, a genuine individual looking to seek the truth, they'll just change their position based on better information. But that's pretty rare for most people. Usually, if, especially if they've I guess emotionally invested in the position to the point where they've kind of become a dick about it, it becomes very difficult to backpedal from that in the face of new information. Oh, for sure. I usually once people go to that point and they start with the ad hominems and the straw mans and all that stuff, it's not even worth wasting your time because you're never going to get them to change their mind because there's no way to save face from shit like that. Yeah, right? for sure. So next we have double standards, also known as hypocrisy. So this means pretty much a lack of integrity um, where their words don't match their actions or behavior. Yeah, so if you have people that well, hypocrisy is a good thing I think we should touch on now, because I think it's probably something that could uh, require some clarification. Hypocrisy is basically claiming to hold a position that you do not actually hold, mm-hmm. as evidenced by your behavior. Like, for mm-hmm. example, it's like, if you say that you don't think the government should be necessarily involved in fixing roads, you'd rather it was turned over to the private sector, and then someone's like, well, you drive on public roads all the time. You must be a hypocrite. It's like, well, I don't exactly have a choice, first of all. So it's not like I, I'm using the roads and not actually holding the position that they would be better served by the free market. Mm-hmm. This would be more like someone who says that, you know, theft is immoral unless the government does it. It's like, well, it either is or it isn't, right? But if you're mm-hmm. okay with it in this circumstance, you clearly don't actually hold that position. And mm-hmm. that's what hypocrisy really is. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so claiming to hold a position you don't actually hold. Mm-hmm. as displayed by your behavior so like if you had an opinion like you know kicking dogs is wrong but then every weekend you go around kicking dogs it's like well you obviously don't believe that because if you did you wouldn't spend every weekend kicking dogs obviously right mm-hmm. and the this hypocrisy will likely be spread to other domains of the person's life well yeah like, because it, it's like you know we were talking about the ref, uh the observing ego yeah it's if you didn't have one it'd be the only way you'd be able to double think that way where it's like you can hold two completely contradictory opinions, but they never they never collide because you're just never thinking that much. 
Mm. So provided that you can think one thing at one time and the other thing at a separate time, those things might never actually collide in your life, despite holding them both in your mind at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Whereas if you have a stronger ego and better conscience, then you'll likely feel guilty for not... Yeah, you'd be like, man, I really go around telling people that they shouldn't kick dogs, <laughs> but every weekend I, I just I kick as many dogs as I possibly... I didn't really realize... Why is that? Why is that? Like, <laughs> maybe I should be more consistent. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's yeah. sort of what we're uh, we're beating yeah. to death here. So or obey the non-aggression principle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, a next part is um, asking for help and complaining that it isn't good enough. Exactly. So say you were to uh, ask somebody for a favor, and they're like, "Okay, I guess I could help you out with that," but then you go on to complain about how bad a job they're doing with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're probably not likely to help you again, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> but uh, it, it is a, just a, a way of manipulating and controlling people's behavior. Yeah, and I don't think people generally don't feel, don't like feeling that they're not good enough, especially when they're doing someone else a favor. Yeah, so this one is a little bit more of a low-hanging fruit, I would think. It's like, <laughs> if you were to see this, this uh, probably yeah. wouldn't be much of a problem for you going forward, because you'd probably just tell that person to fuck right off. So constant correcting of irrelevant detail. Yeah, so this is like the one we had before in conversation where there'll be some trivial detail that's not really related to the story, mm. but their need to constantly correct it. I guess mm. it's a way of remaining relevant in the conversation or something. Yeah. Um, next we have projective identification, which means to act in a way that upsets another person, then use the upset um, to justify your own behavior. Right, so basically acting like a dick and then accusing the other person of being emotionally unstable when they get angry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, this this is uh, another pretty obvious one that if you uh, you see it, I would probably just go the other way. Exactly. So uh, bullying behavior, for example, gets the victim to act out the fear that the bully's really feeling so that the bully doesn't have to go through the, the process of feeling it. Right, mm-hmm. so maybe the bully feels really scared, and that's why he victimizes other people because then they have to act out and manifest that fear, so that mm-hmm. the bully can avoid it. Mm-hmm. Then they can see it outside themselves, maybe. Uh, and another one here was uh, just enough good behavior to prevent the consequences, but then backsliding right away, and eventually eroding all expectations that they're ever really going to change. This is sort of like that frog in the pot of boiling water, you know, where the person constantly claims they're going to change. And then they make a small token gesture to say, oh, okay, look, they actually have changed. But then, like, immediately it just goes right back to the way it was before. You know, eventually mm-hmm. the, uh, this is something that could be used to just sort of break down people's defenses. Yeah, so it's like kind of showing, showing others that maybe there is a change, but yeah. then quickly... And then nothing ever really changes, but these token gestures can be used when things get a little rocky so that the person can uh, maintain mm-hmm. that control, right? Mm-hmm. So next we have claiming that we have a common problem we need to resolve together in order to bypass proper risk assessment. Mm-hmm. This teaming is used in movies as a plot device to bring the characters together. So in like a, a movie like, what was that one with uh, Jason Statham in The Rock, where everyone thought it was going to be like the new Fast and the Furious movie, but it's basically like, hey, here's two guys that used to be enemies, but now they're teaming up because they have to resolve this like bullshit plot. <laughs> and it's like, okay. But uh, you can you can see this, I think, a lot in the, the climate alarmist movement where they're basically all saying, well, we have this big, giant common problem that we all need to solve together. And it's like, well, why is it that every time you propose a solution, it just happens to line up with all of your political ambitions? 
Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, oh, oh, right. So if we just pay more taxes to the government, we can change the weather. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can't keep drugs out of prisons, but I'm sure they can <laughs> change the weather with money. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But this is, yeah, it's just another form of control where it's like, well, you know, we want things to go a certain way. So we're going to propose it in the name of this giant problem mm-hmm. that we all have to solve together. And if you don't want to do it my way, that means you don't believe that we have this giant problem. Yeah, they're very selective of the scientific data. A little if bit. Can, a little bit, yeah. They, they the use, the yeah. data that has to keep being changed to, to conform to the narrative rather than the yeah, other way around. Yeah, an agenda, yeah. And yeah. then that's somehow called science. But you'll, you'll always notice when, whenever somebody says something like, but science proves or studies prove, you know they don't have a fucking clue what they're talking about. Not a clue. Because if somebody actually knows how the scientific method works, they will say things like, there is evidence that suggests... Or there is evidence in support of, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. never definitive. Like that's what dogma is. That's not what science is. Mm-hmm. But you know, there'll, there'll be tons of these people that you know. I don't know. I mean, they, they went to school for something that's completely unrelated to the scientific method. They never used it. They've never been taught how to use it. They've never practiced it. They've never had to use it to prove a point. They have no idea how limited it can actually be. And to, it's laughable to think like most correlations you're going to find are barely fifty percent over chance. And that's considered a strong correlation. So, but they're going around thinking like, oh, it's like a one-to-one. As soon as you do this, then this. It's like, oh my god. Mm-hmm. So, if they can't successfully tell you what methodology was used to reject the null hypothesis, they don't have enough information on the method to know how to make points with it. Key points. Yeah. So, if they can't explain their methodology and how they rejected their null hypothesis, which is basically, there is no effect. And that's mm. your starting position until you can show that that thing's false. And then mm. all you can do is say, well, there's not no effect. That's what science proves, that there isn't nothing going on. But that's mm. it. It can't tell you what it is, what's going on, and never makes the claims that far. All it can suggest is that there isn't absolutely nothing going on. And if you start going beyond that, that's when you start stepping into the realm of dogma and propaganda and all this other kind of shit. Right, right. So, it's very, very methodical and very careful, but it's also very limited in what it can be generalized to claim. So when these people start just reiterating talking points they've heard on the news, then they're not talking about the science, they're talking about the propaganda on the media. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate because it's something that allows people to feel like they're a lot smarter and more knowledgeable than they are. And I can see how that could probably be pretty addictive. So, For sure. So, if we can sum up uh, controlling behaviors when one person expects, compels, or requires others to cater to their own needs, even at the expense of others. So, who falls victim to this? Um, we can see introverts, those close to the manipulator, and those with submissive tendencies, or those to act in good faith, which are basically the kindest people you can likely find. Yeah, so the people that are really kind and maybe a little on the naive side, they mm-hmm. tend to be the ones that are going to be most, they're going to fall for that controlling behavior the most. So mm-hmm. if you rank really high in trait agreeableness, for example, this is probably something that you'd want to watch out for. In the same way, if you have genetic markers for kidney disease, you'd want to watch what you eat. Yeah. This is, if you have these these tendencies to be really kind to people, you got to watch out for people that are going to take advantage of that because they will. And you could become sort of an unwitting participant or useful idiot in the plans that these people have for you, and it, uh, it's not really going to go well for anybody. And mm-hmm. at the, the larger group level, we can kind of see how, you know, politicians and bureaucrats can manipulate people's 
tendencies to be kind people and sort of say, well, if you're actually a kind person, then you'll vote for me because I want to do X or Y. And I mean, I'm going to use your money to do it, which means I'm super generous, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, yeah. And, that's, and that's what they'll convince people to do. Like, uh, you know, AOC went on recently to say that if Jeff Bezos was a good person, he would turn his company Amazon into like a workers collective. And this is a woman wow. who's obviously never run a business, hasn't done a damn thing, but it's like sling a few drinks at a bar before. Like, <laughs> and somehow, you know, she's going to give a, like business advice to this billionaire on how he's supposed mm. to run Amazon. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, Amazon is amazing. If I want some $10 item, you know, I can have it shipped to my house in two days. Some guy will actually drive up on my driveway, take it and put it in my front door. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, that's mm-hmm. way easier than going to a store to buy some cheap $10 item. And this isn't for like just expensive shit. This is for whatever you buy. Yeah. You know, they got the logistics game down so well that they can do it for so cheap that they can outcompete everybody who has a box store. One that, reason that, they're one of the biggest. Yeah. And that's amazing. Right, mm-hmm. but I mean, a lot of people just say, "Well, you know, if he was actually a decent person, he'd just give all his billions of dollars to, you know, the the homeless people or something." But it's like, well, he doesn't really have billions of dollars. It's all in stocks, and he's not legally allowed to sell those stocks. And if he did, the value of those stocks would plummet, and all this wealth mm. would just evaporate. I need to get divorced recently. Yeah, yeah, so. and I mean, a lot of that divorce settlement probably came with a lot of stocks as well. But I mean, people yeah. don't understand the difference between like liquid assets and like stock assets or real estate assets. It's like someone could be super wealthy with $0 in the bank. You know, right, it's like if right, you own right. like a dozen houses and then like an apple orchard and I don't know, a tannery, <laughs> you're way wealthier than someone who's got a million dollars in the bank. Cause mm-hmm. all that shit collectively is worth a lot more than that. Even if the money isn't, isn't there yet. Mm-hmm. But to sort of the, the idea that you can just take money from the rich, it's like, well, they're rich because of stock values. You know what I mean? It's uh, you could say it's a little imaginary and all that kind of stuff, but that's a golden goose you can only kill once, right? Because mm-hmm. as soon as you're like, well, we'll just take all their stocks and sell them off, and then just give the money to the poor. It's like, well, then what do you think people are going to do with their money? They're not going to store it in Western banks. They're going to store it in the, like the Caribbean <laughs> or Swiss yeah. bank accounts where you can't touch it because well, otherwise, what the hell's the point of doing anything if the government could just go in and take your shit, right? And it's like, how far do you go? How do you decide yeah. how much? <laughs> yeah, I can't remember what the name was. There's this name of this this number that exists somewhere between like 0% and 100% where the government can take a certain amount, but once they go over it, they start losing money. And if they go below it, they lose money. So there's like some exact amount of money. I don't know. It's mm. From an economic perspective, I can see the argument being made for that, but I'm thinking on a moral perspective, you don't have the right to take other people's shit. Makes sense. So, we got some of the signs of controlling behavior, um, attention-seeking, ultimatums, ad hominems, um, disguising criticisms with banter in public, and attending to, attempting to make you feel less than you are. Yeah, and we can see a lot of the overlaps yeah. uh, from this controlling behavior to the emotionally immature behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, the, uh, mm-hmm. the attention-seeking and the ad hominems specifically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so again, this externalizing of, of behavior. Right, right. Uh, so things that could cause it, you could have low self-efficacy. Uh, they could feel controlled by someone else. They could have some past trauma. They have a need for control and need to feel above other people. So I guess if, uh, you know, you got a really person of low self-efficacy that doesn't really think much of themselves, I mean, they could go through all the work to make themselves more, or they could just kind of bring everybody else down, and that's way easier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so some of the methods are psychological manipulation through jealous behavior, isolating you, 
judging you how you speak, uh, silent treatment, constant criticisms, guilt trips, and emotional blackmail. Yeah, I mean, these things wouldn't necessarily all have to be present, because if they mm-hmm. were, it would be pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, one or two of them every now and then, over a large period of time, might be enough to get under somebody's skin and uh, maybe bring them under the spell of one of these sons of bitches, eh, Tim? Mm-hmm. And we also have financial exploitation, and this can work in a couple of different ways. So they could be cutting you off from independence uh, from them, or by forcing you to take on 100% financial responsibility for them. So they could order, they could say, like, okay, I'm going to make all the money and you're dependent upon me, or you're going to make all the money and I'm going to be 100% dependent on you. Now, in voluntary relationships like a marriage, this isn't really what we're talking about. Okay. Right. I mean, you might have one parent decide to stay home with the kids and the other one goes to work. Gender, kind of irrelevant. Uh, mm-hmm. But that could be an arrangement that they work out, and it wouldn't necessarily be a case of financial exploitation, because both people are getting into it of their own accord. But, okay. But you can sort of see, over time, if somebody wants to control somebody, making them 100% dependent on you for their finances through sort of manipulation, mm-hmm. that's something a little bit different. Or the other way around, where they sort of force you to take on their entire financial responsibility, not really of your own volition either, but slowly over time. So that's uh, a couple of ways Mm. these guys will get a hold of you. Another set of extremes. Mm -hmm. So we just wanted to um, define boundaries. So as this is, and this is a good way um, to discover how to uh, protect yourself because. Um, boundaries are a mental limit between you and another person, or in other words, they are where you end and others begin. So knowing what's yours and what's not. So having an effective boundary means taking responsibility for your own actions and emotions and not taking responsibility for the actions and emotions of others. Of course, this plays out a little differently when you're actually responsible for someone else like a dependent or a child. Right. So according to personal space theory, we have boundaries and can regulate what we let in and let out when it comes to the physical, mental, and spiritual environment. Maintaining boundaries is about being the gatekeeper of your life in order to keep yourself safe and healthy. So if you think of yourself as a castle with the front door, moat, and drawbridge, which you can lower open or raise shut at your will... The front door is left unlocked while the drawbridge is laid open all the time. Anyone is free to walk in, do as they please, and stay as long as they like. On the other extreme, if you keep the door shut and locked and the drawbridge up all the time, you end up isolated and miss miss out on connecting with others. So many isolate from one extreme to the other. However, the healthiest type of boundary is one that is appropriately and purposefully open to some people in some situations some of the time and close to others at other times. So really, the context of the situation is key. Mm -hmm. So in our day-to-day, how well we communicate these boundaries can either protect or jeopardize relationships. For example, think of times you did something you did not want to do because someone asked you and you felt obliged. The simmering anger that ensues could damage the relationship if you let it boil over. You might say something passive-aggressive or even fully lash out. So there's a bunch of different ways that you can go about building better boundaries because I think this is something that's important for yeah maintaining that filter with the world. You don't want them to be so loose that you basically just dissolve into the ether of everybody else. 
but you mm. don't also want them to be so rigid that you cut yourself off from a lot of necessary supports and connections. So exactly. this, again, kind of goes back to the Aristotelian means that we talked about yep. before. So Good old golden mean. Oh, yeah, yeah. got to have the golden mean, especially <laughs> in this case. So let's figure out exactly how we can tweak our filters a little bit to be more effective in the way we relate to other people. So first and foremost is naming your limits. So identify your physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual limits and think about what you can tolerate and accept and what makes you feel uncomfortable and stressed. Yeah, so let's say you have a job. Um, you also need to go to the gym, stay physically fit. Mm -hmm. And if you're taking a course at the same time, then uh, depending on the individual that, you know, they might not have time or energy to focus on or to spend for much else. Yeah, you don't right? want to stretch yourself too thin, yeah. right? If, uh, if you start putting too much on your plate, there's only 24 hours in the day for everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, you can mm -hmm. only divide that up so much before things are going to start to slip. So if it's, uh, if you have a course on already, you start taking on two more, maybe you can't go to the gym as much and your physical health starts to slide. Mm -hmm. Not, mm -hmm. uh, not a great place to be in. So yeah. It's important. Uh, number two here is to tune into your feelings. So feelings of discomfort or resentment are red flags indicating that we're letting go of our boundaries and perhaps allowing them to be trampled more than we ought to. Mm -hmm. uh, and if these feelings are very strong after an interaction, you may want to ask yourself what the cause is. What is it about the interaction or the person's expectation that is bothering me? Yeah. So. Again, this can be something that's hard to detect at first, um, mm -hmm. especially if you're not, you know, in tune with, you know, reflecting on emotions very much. But um, it's a good way, yeah, just to just to reflect and see, you know, what which situations is there a pattern with certain situations, let's say, and. What type of person am I interacting with, and how does it make you you feel afterwards? And, right? and tuning into it, what this is gonna feel like if you guys aren't familiar with doing this, is it's sort of like taking a a check of your battery level almost before and after mm -hmm. an interaction. Like if you feel like pumped up and energized and full of life and have your tank full after hanging out with an individual, that's gonna be a sign that it's a positive relationship, obviously. And if mm. you feel, like, immediately drained, tired, bored, frustrated, almost immediately after they, they come into the room, it's probably a good sign that that's not going to be one that's going to last. So tune into that, be very honest with yourself, and uh, keep track of it, because if you don't, it's going to allow your boundaries to be violated a little bit more easily. And in the event that that doesn't happen, you got to be direct. So number three here is be direct with those who have a different personality or maybe a different cultural background. You need to be more direct about your boundaries. So considering the following example, one person feels that challenging someone's opinion is a healthy way of communication, but to another person, this feels disrespectful and tense. However, if people are similar in their communication styles, views, personalities, and their general approaches to life, they'll approach each other in a similar way. So if if you're in a situation where it's people are much more likely to agree with you out of politeness, it can almost be kind of frustrating in the other direction because you don't really know if they're being honest with you. Mm -hmm. But to them, 
if they're saying something and someone disagrees with them, maybe they feel personally insulted by that. Maybe this is a cultural difference, but this, I don't know, maybe it goes back to the emotional maturity thing if you can't really handle disagreement. <laughs> I'm not really sure yeah. what to tell you. Are we all supposed to sit around and say things and everyone else pretends to agree? Like, <laughs> what the hell kind of Orwellian nonsense is that? Man? Right. That sounds terrifying. Right. Well, sometimes it depends, too, on how the disagreement plays out, like, whether it's respectful or not, let's say, or... Yeah, I think that would play into it, know. for sure. Um, but yeah, there, you know, we grew up with different, like, expectations and ways of interacting, so um, I think it's a good sign, too, that if you can you know, communicate a differing viewpoint with somebody and not let it uh, get into, like, a blown-up argument. I think that's a good sign of a, you know, a good friendship or Yeah, you don't want to take your own opinions too seriously. You know what I mean? I think it's it's probably healthy to just do away with the concept of opinions altogether. You know, you can evaluate the arguments, and you're either going to end up with a better argument or they're going to end up with a better argument. But if mm. the world works this way, things would be a lot easier. <laughs> so right. if people are uh, already down the rabbit hole of an idea so much that it's become sort of a dogmatic idol that they just have to worship i don't even bother engaging you know what, I mean? mm. what are you gonna what are you gonna tell them that they're not just going to immediately reject because it goes against their own narrative you know like once i've got the impression that someone is just you can't reach them because they're just too disingenuous that way like i can't bother with it it's not worth it not worth the stress you know? Yeah. It's kind of like that Aristotle quote about intelligence being able to entertain an idea without necessarily agreeing with it. Yeah, exactly. Later on, right. But uh, you'll find that some people can't. They got to just sort of be on one side or the other, and mm-hmm. then they get kind of dogmatic, us versus them, about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So number four, it's important to give yourself permission. Uh, fear, guilt, and self-doubt may prevent stable boundaries due to fearing of the other person's response if we go about enforcing our boundaries. So we might feel guilty about speaking up or saying no to a family member. Many believe that they should be able to cope with the situation or say yes because they're a good daughter or son, even though they feel drained or maybe even taken advantage of. We might wonder if we even deserve to have boundaries in the first place. Boundaries aren't just a sign of healthy uh, of a healthy relationship, they're a sign of self-respect. So you can't allow yourself to leave a situation with an individual who doesn't respect your boundaries, uh, or you in general, I suppose, because if they don't respect your boundaries, they probably don't respect you either. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so the next is practice self-awareness. Um, if you notice yourself slipping and not sustaining your boundaries, you may want to ask yourself, what's changed? Consider, what am I doing, or what is the other person doing, or what is the situation eliciting that makes me resentful or stressed? Then you can think over the options, what am I going to do about the situation, and what do I have control over? So in a way, it's taking an analysis of what's happening with you and with the other person and the situation in general, and not just reflexively going through it, Mm -hmm. let's say. Um, So consider your past and present. How you're raised along with your role in your family can become additional obstacles in setting and preserving boundaries. So if if you held the role of caretaker, you learn to focus on others, letting yourself be drained emotionally or physically. So 
ignoring your needs might have become the norm for you. And also think about the people you surround yourself and um, whether the relationships are reciprocal. Is there a healthy give and take? So yeah, this kind of, you know, in a way talks about birth order. Usually it's the firstborn who's generally the most responsible um, Mm -hmm. of the the children um, who has to look after others and if they're put in a parental role early on in life, let, let's say, then um, there may be difficult difficulty maintaining boundaries because that's what they're used to. Yeah, they may feel uh, responsible for taking care of other people, which can piss other people off if they're competent adults. You know, <laughs> people don't like to be told they need to be looked after like some kind of invalid if they're they're not. Yeah, yeah. or I think the point is, though, it just might be too much to take on. Yeah, when it gets past that point, yeah. too, when they're yeah, it can definitely uh, definitely bother people. So, uh, you also want to make self care a priority. So, giving yourself permission to put yourself first, honor your feelings, which are important markers for well being and what make you happy and unhappy. And self care uh, allows you to have the energy, the peace of mind, and the positive outlook to be more present with others and be there for them. Now, uh, I think. It might be easy to dive into uh, sort of a self-serving, kind of selfish mentality if you're not careful and you allow this process of self-care to go too far and Mm -hmm. forget about the duty that you have to other people. So make sure that when you're engaging in self-care, it is to get yourself into a position that allows you to be there for other people. So, you know, you might want to you know, do some relaxing, some meditating to get yourself all prepped for the next day. But you mm. don't want you don't want to relax so hard that you just end up doing a bunch of heroin and then you're screwed the next day. <laughs> As a sort of silly example, this is mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of what I'm talking about. It's like, well, mm. I got to be all relaxed and make sure I'm there for people. So where's my needles at? <laughs> let, me, let me get that that belt around my arm and get myself relaxed. And it's like that's not gonna. Yeah, you that's might, more you, self-serving than bit. self-care. Exactly. <laughs> exactly, that's a good way to put it. More self-serving than self-care. So, don't yeah. do heroin. It's uh, not a great way to relax. From what, <laughs> from what you could observe in anybody who's tried it, for sure. So, next part is I think this is pretty important too. Seek support if you're having a hard time with boundaries. Um, seek some support with a support group or church or counseling, coaching or good friends. Um, with friends or family you can even make it a priority with each other to practice uh, setting boundaries together and hold each other accountable so i find that one pretty useful too if i feel like i'm lacking in connection in general with Mm -hmm. others it's good to yeah get out and take some focus away from yourself in that in that sense and you know yeah think about something else for a change and develop yeah. some more meaningful connections with others and, yeah sounds like a good idea yeah. uh, what do you got here so next we got be assertive um we know that it's not enough to create boundaries we actually have to follow through so even though we know intellectually that people aren't mind readers um we still expect others to know what hurts us so since they don't always know that, it's important to assertively communicate with the other person when they've crossed a boundary. So in a respectful way, let the other person know what specifically is bothersome to you and that you can work together to address it. And you want to start small in this process. So like any new skill, assertively communicating your boundaries does take a bit of practice. So start with a small boundary that isn't all that threatening to you. 
and then incrementally increase to more challenging boundaries. Don't start with something that's too overwhelming. So remember that setting boundaries does take a lot of courage, practice, support. So remember, like any skill, it's something that you're going to have to master. Right. So when it comes to uh, setting boundaries, especially around controlling people, I think it is important that we go back to recognizing what a controlling person is going to look like when you encounter them in the world. So, like we said before, you're going to want to consider how you're feeling around the other person. Like we were saying about how your energy levels fluctuate a little bit. Maybe you feel a little bit more fulfilled, or maybe you feel a little bit more drained. You're going to want to tune in and pay attention to those feelings. You may want to even journal about it, if if that helps. Yeah, and then you can see maybe how it yeah. changes over time yeah. in response to different contexts. So you're going to look for feelings of suffocation, confusion, and distress. If you're experiencing a lot of these around these people, that's going to be a good, uh, a good sign that you might be dealing with a controlling individual. Uh, this can manifest itself in both friendships and in intimate relationships. So does this controlling person allow you to be yourself, or do they try to have some kind of undue influence on your behavior? Now, people that have really forceful personalities aren't necessarily controlling individuals, so watch out for that confound there. You might just have someone who's extremely extroverted, and uh, they're really in your face, and they might not necessarily be looking to control you. So hmm. keep an eye out for some of these other symptoms, uh, like distinguishing between controlling behavior and somebody who just has boundary issues. So mm -hmm. if somebody is just, in general, not very good at recognizing boundaries, you're going to want to distinguish that from someone who is really attempting to control your behavior with that, again, manipulative, undue influence over the choices mm -hmm. you make in your life. Uh, a good one to look out for is moodiness. It's a pretty key signal of a controlling individual. They tend to be perpetually ruminating about something, and their remedy is to control other people. Because I guess it maybe allows them to not think about themselves so much, but rather than trying to connect and share some of those feelings, it's easier to control that entire interaction to maybe give them some sense of control over their own life. Uh, so they're often going to throw tantrums when an insufficient amount of attention is paid to them and their needs, and be suspicious of people who have a temper and that often use it to get their way. And, you know, they'll see disagreements as a challenge to their authority and things like this, but again, it's something that they obviously can control. Like when they're out in public, for example, they don't flare up completely lose their temper it's only in situations where they can control what's going on yeah usually it's more isolated and private yeah, yeah and it's uh, it's a conscious choice so i mean if if these people seriously had a temper they couldn't control they wouldn't be able to control it in public or in front of a police officer or a judge or a social worker they would just blow up all the time but you know yeah if they're really controlling they obviously have a control over that behavior and they're just pretending to lose control to manipulate you uh, so, although they may be acting out these learned patterns, there really isn't any excuse for this kind of abusive behavior. So, mm -hmm. how they react to normal questions, for example, frustration and condescension aren't really a good sign. Mm -hmm. uh, they're often going to project and assume they know how you think, and they react badly when the real you doesn't actually align with this constructed caricature they have of you in their mind. So, mm -hmm. if you ever deviate from their narrative of how you ought to behave, you'll start to see pretty poor reactions from them emotionally. Mm -hmm. So questioning these kind of people can often irritate them because they would rather be in control of the questions. Uh, or the opposite can also happen where the questions lead them to assume that you need guidance and control from them. So it can open you up to manipulation 
by them seeing you as perhaps someone who is in need of their benevolent assistance. Uh, so again, we talked about flattery before with controlling people and emotionally immature people. Uh, but the compliments you'll find are often kind of shallow or inaccurate. Like, I don't know, if you're just wearing a t-shirt that you got at Walmart for 10 bucks, and then they start <laughs> really, like, talking about how great of a t-shirt it is, and you're like, yeah, I didn't really think two seconds about throwing this thing on. <laughs> so it is kind of annoying because it's it's not really genuine, and you can tell because it's over something so trivial. Yeah, and insignificant. Uh, cruelty is a lot more common. Uh, it's a good way of undermining your autonomy. Uh, criticism is also used to elevate these individuals. Uh, you can often spot them a mile away by constant monologues about how shitty, rotten, or stupid and annoying everybody else is, which it's assumed that they're not. <laughs> I suppose they just exclude themselves from these descriptions they have for society in, at large. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't really understand the word no very well. You know, the whole no means no thing, and regardless of the context. Uh, they often insist and insist and keep going on and on until a firm no usually becomes a weak yes and some rather pathetic acquiescence to their demands. And then they mm -hmm. see it as sort of a full compliance. Mm -hmm. uh, what do these people act like whenever you want to be yourselves? Are they changing your views to align with somebody else? Uh, see, controllers also attempt to define your reality, so they try to tell you how, to, how you feel. They try to change your plans. And they'll constantly try to, you know, chip away at you until eventually you're like, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, yeah. you have to you have to correct that pretty quickly, I yeah, think. Yeah, that's something you probably want to nip in the bud yeah. and sort of explain that now yeah. when I say no, I, I generally mean it. I honestly hate that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it can get pretty frustrating, especially because it's like, well, if you've already asked me three times, why do you think the fourth time is going to be any different? <laughs> especially because it's literally been 30 seconds since this whole interrogation began. Mm -hmm. uh, so what else we got here? Uh, how does a person feel about responsibility and mutual decision-making uh, and difficult situations? So an opinionated person can be a bit of a pain in the ass, but they don't really seem to want to control you. A controlling person is unable to accept or tolerate any differences between the two of you. So if there's mm. something you disagree on, it becomes sort of their mission to flip you around on it and see it their way. Uh, mm -hmm. So there will always be attempts to change some aspect of your personality in an attempt to control the world around them. All right, so this is, again, I see a lot of this with, like, the woke culture, where their attempts to make the world into their little communist utopia involves changing aspects of everybody else's personality and telling people what they're allowed to think. Because, I mean, in their mind, if they can control what people think, then they can just bring about their utopia because everyone will agree with them that it's a good idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thought police. Uh, yeah, 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 the thought police and all that stuff. Uh, yeah. So nothing's ever their fault, and they're going to deflect and blame everybody for their problems, as we see. And they assume they know what's best. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when you're dealing with these kind of people, they're always going to try to keep you at your worst so that you remain under their thumb. Uh, you're going to want to try to maintain your self-worth and keep your family and friends close around these people because... You know, they're not really going to stop it much until they get everything they want from you. Uh, protect your autonomy and your alone time. Don't allow yourself to be silenced and just make sure you take notice of these patterns so that you can nip this kind of stuff in the bud before it becomes too much mm -hmm. of a problem. Mm -hmm. So, when you're on the lookout for these kind of people, you're going to want to watch the interactions that they have with others. So, controlling people are often going to try to interfere with your relationships. It's like, oh, well, you don't want to hang out with them. They got canceled, didn't you hear? 
they're a canceled person. You don't want to be seen with that pariah. You know, the goal is isolation for you and power for them. And because of this, they often tend to lack a lot of close connections as well. So uh, keep an eye out for people. You know, if if there's somebody that you're meeting and there's nobody around that's known this person for more than 10 years, that's probably a red flag. Uh, so freeing yourself. You got to be honest about their true nature. You don't owe these controlling people an explanation. It's only going to open you up to further attempts at manipulation. So you're going to want to set those boundaries and stick to them. And interestingly enough, quite often they'll often fake a lot of physical symptoms in order to manipulate you. You know, this mm. could be up to including lying about certain diseases and attempting to bring you back into the fold. So, uh, mm. so definitely keep an eye out for that. Now, over at the post-millennial, they got a couple articles on how the uh, social justice types are using a lot of these same tactics in order to get people on board mm -hmm. with their communist progressive agenda. Right? Right. So we can see the smack of absurdity in the face of rational, rational reasonableness is why so many people are standing with Maya. The trans ad advocates ask for compassion and kindness, the desire for preferred pronouns to be treated as the sex they choose to portray, all made basic sense. Women's were, women were like, yeah, okay, you want to use the fitting room, we can't tell the difference, and everyone's basically discreet, discreet so sure, be comfy. You do you. Yeah, so there was never really a huge issue with this up until the left sort of made it a big issue, right? Because if someone were to present as a woman, you'd probably never even know. And if they were to just walk into the change room, there wouldn't be anything that would stand out about it, right? Mm -hmm. It's only when they started involving the legal aspects of it that it started to become a bit of a problem. Uh, so where the entire trans ideology began to fall apart is when women were redefined in the context of trans by being called cis, or when the laws began to appear that legally required women use preferred pronouns under threat of arrest or interrogation or when women were told that men with penises and beards were actually women, or when the spaces where women were most vulnerable, like prisons, crisis centers, bathrooms, and hospitals, were open to men who said that they were women, or when women started being fired for stating their beliefs that biological sex is an actual real thing. So that's uh, what we've seen a lot of. Uh, have you heard of these things called TERFs? No. This is the trans-exclusionary radical feminists. So these are the feminists who are basically saying there's such a thing as real biological women. And they're, they're being cancelled and fired and all kinds of stuff for making this assertion. So all these, uh, yeah, like all these spaces that used to be traditionally just for women, now any guy says he can just go in. And hmm. this is like a brand new phenomenon because now before, everyone would just be like, well, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. These spaces are here to protect women. Mm -hmm. Not mm -hmm. to exclude men, but now if men can just say, well, I'm a woman... They're like the, the place could be like legally liable if they don't allow him to enter these change rooms. So it defeats the whole purpose. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's uh, all of a sudden, yeah. you know, the, I guess, the, all the gains of feminism were sort of turned on their head overnight. Where it's sort of like, well, we've fought for, you know, the safe spaces for women and all that. And it's like, well, we've just decided to redefine what a woman is and just completely flank them on all of these arguments. And it's like, well, I've just decided that I can just be a woman right now, and if you don't believe me, I'll have you brought up on charges from the Human Rights Tribunal that you're violating my civil rights. And it's like, oh, maybe this has gone a little bit too far. 
Maybe. Perhaps. You know what I mean? We, we can have, like, you know, let's not hate trans people on the one hand, and maybe mm. we can still have women's bathrooms on the other hand. Maybe these two things can coexist. But when you have that sort of simplistic or sort of oversimplified thinking that we talked about before with the emotionally immature, these two thoughts cannot coincide. It's like you either let men say they're women and enter women's bathrooms, or that means you automatically want all trans people to be murdered. Like, wait, 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 how do we get there? That doesn't make any sense. It's like, right. well, yeah, obviously, it's either one or the other. It's like, why is it obviously only one or the other? That's far from self-evident. Well, it's like, <laughs> well, then you just hate, you know, whatever group I'm a part of for disagreeing with me. And it's like, oh, God, here we go. You know? Mm. So you see all these, these, whenever you involve the state in these kind of speech codes, it makes everything a lot more dangerous for people to talk about. So we can't really get to the bottom of what's absurd and what isn't, because if you try to get there, you obviously hate somebody. Whoever's most offended, I suppose. <laughs> well, let's figure out who the most offended is, and then that's who we'll assume that you hate. And then we'll just go after you for hating that group of people for no reason. It's like, this is what happens when you allow people to project their thoughts into other people. It's just never ends yeah. well, right? Lots of meant, yeah, projecting hate. <laughs> yeah, and that's all it is, man. It's just saying, well, this is what you hate because of this. So because of your interpretation, that means I hate something? How does that make any sense? Well, it doesn't have to make sense. It just... If you get enough people to believe it, then you can get them canceled. So next, you want to look at some of the what's been happening with some of the schools. Yeah. So in the the follow up article, they have uh, they talk about the way that these cults are able to sort of control the environment to a point where then this this ideology is really the only way you can survive. So mm. Ryerson uh, University had a student union that was torn apart over on campus brunch event in which a non-Indigenous student sang Colors of the Wind from Disney's Pocahontas. And this incident led to the resignation of a member of the student union. (laughs) Because obviously, you can't sing an Indigenous song, even if it was written by Disney, if you're not Indigenous, because that's racist. Or cultural appropriation, or whatever we're calling it now. Uh, Humber College, another campus here in southern Ontario, uh, where the literary editor for the Humber Literary Review was fired, for supporting the free speech rights of a gender-critical feminist. So saying that feminists have free speech is now enough to get you fired. Especially on these university campuses where a lot of this stuff seems to be uh, manifesting itself. Uh, Another school gave a six-year-old kid an existential crisis by her teacher telling her there was no such thing as girls and boys. So, I mean, they're, they're getting, starting younger and younger, right? Where if they can get mm-hmm. people indoctrinated into this ideology to the point where they're giving them you know, existential crises about the nature of reality at such a young mm-hmm. age. You know, if you scare them enough, you can make them believe anything you want. You know, just sell them the idea of comfort along with it, and they'll believe whatever you say. Mm-hmm. Way too much to <laughs> put on someone that age. Yeah, so, uh, and out of the universities and into the news media, uh, one of the key tenets of social justice is to promote all trans people as oppressed, rather than viewing them as individuals, which is kind of ridiculous and prejudice on the face of it, right? Uh, we saw the same approach with CBC's story painting Jessica Yaniv as a victim rather than covering the multiple allegations against Yaniv for pedophilia or her arrest for illegal weapons. Right? And actually, she actually just was arrested for attacking a rebel news media journalist, and he got it all on camera, and she was, like, hitting him and all this stuff, and they were, the courts were finally fed up, so Yaniv could be facing up to five years in prison. Wow. Yeah, so it's uh, it's probably about time. I think that uh, that asshole's had it coming. 
Uh, and there's also Andy No, who was suspended from Twitter for reporting true facts that refuted the narrative of transphobic violence, and also Megan Murphy being banned from Twitter for tweets that stated that uh, men aren't women. <laughs> so again, this is kind of like our last episode on cancel culture, where we kind of see that uh, all these people who disagree with the narrative, you know, rather than them come, their opponents coming up with better arguments, they just seek to have their lives destroyed. Mm-hmm. Right? Using the law or whatever else. Yeah. Uh, Tarring them in social media. Or... Yeah, and I'm sure there's a, a large, silent majority of people who would rather just sort of go along with the narrative to prevent being targeted themselves than yeah. they would from countering it. Path of least resistance, yeah. in a way. Basically, where it's like, well, if I want to stay in this playground, I better obey the rules. And the rules are, don't disagree with anyone who stacks up higher on the victim hierarchy, otherwise I'm oppressing them. And by sort of accepting this presupposition... It basically silences everybody because they all self-silence themselves. They sure like to make things pretty complicated, eh? <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's, that's the thing. I mean, you can always find fraud wherever you have a lot of money and a lot of complexity in which to hide mm. its use. So if you have a lot of victimhood points that can be disguised through a lot of this postmodernist academic nonsense, then most people think, well, I can't really figure out a good counter-argument because I don't know what the hell they're saying. So I don't want to look like a fool by arguing with something I don't understand. It's like those same people who will like uh, show you the dumbest modern art you could possibly imagine, and then anyone who thinks it's retarded is just uncultured. Right, right. Like oh, that yeah. banana tape to the wall. Yeah, the banana tape to the wall that sold for a hundred and something thousand dollars. It's like, oh man, you people just aren't cultured enough to understand the brilliance of this art piece. It's like. Oh, <laughs> so I think it's uh, it's okay to stand up to the nonsense. I think you'll probably find yourself in the majority. But the, the tyranny of the shrill minority is pretty loud right now. But I found I've been able to avoid a lot of it by just not being on Twitter. That's a good point, yeah. Neither am I. <laughs> yeah, I don't really see what you're going to gain from a conversation platform like that. It's where all the, all the idiots seem to be. I mean, a lot of them aren't idiots that are on Twitter, obviously, but all of the idiots seem to be there. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's a lot for just sensationalism and just to, you yeah. know... See what's trending. Yeah, it's like, exactly. Oh, it's going to trend for 24 hours now, and we'll forget about it tomorrow. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of rage on there, too. Yeah, for... yeah I think it's, uh, it's good to look for other platforms as well. I think there's a... Have you seen that new ThinkSpot platform? Yeah, I've heard of it. So what it seems to be is it's like a paid platform. So you pay for subscriptions to all these different personalities. Yeah. And if you pay for it, you can also upload stuff yourself and whatever. So it seems like a way of, oh, okay, if we just have a private social media platform that people have to pay to use you're probably going to filter out a lot of the assholes that way who don't want to pay for it mm -hmm. okay I, that's one way to go yeah i can see that i mean it's not super expensive so and they have like a minimum word count too i think for the posts probably to encourage be... um you know better conversations that would and, be smart right it's uh, like as opposing to twitter's uh, <laughs> yeah it's like here's how much you could say or, or like that on a uh, a tv spot where it's like well we can have you on but you can only speak for six minutes now it's like, well, we can only have you on if you can speak for three hours. Anything less than that, it's just not worth it to our audience. It's like, wow, oh, that's probably a better direction for mm -hmm. media to go in, right? Where it's like, mm -hmm. uh, things have to be a little bit more thought out. Mm-hmm, exactly. Well, that's why, like, you know, listening to people on YouTube or, or podcasts, they get enough time to make fully formed arguments yeah. and go deeper into subjects right yeah when you're not beholden to a certain timeline or to any sort of corporate overlord that makes you want to push a certain narrative and you just do it yourself i think it's inherently more trustworthy than mm -hmm. you know multi-million dollar studios that 
have to be paid for <laughs> somehow, and you don't know how complicit uh, the people giving you the information are in that whole thing, right? So mm-hmm. this is the direction things are going to go, but I'm hoping through all the evidence presented we can sort of see the link between people's lack of emotional maturity, mm-hmm. leading to controlling behavior, and then how that allows people to be complicit in more and more authoritarian regimes. You know, mm-hmm. it'll start off with, well, we'll just put on some taxes to help the most disenfranchised, but then there'll be a lot of, that, that system would be rife with fraud, so we'll just have to fund it even more to compensate it, and then we're going to have to have a whole bureaucracy over top of it to make sure it runs efficiently, and it's, people are more and more complicit in that, right, because it's easier to sort of think, oh, well, there's just this one bureaucratic overlord that will take care of all our problems than it is to actually have to think about these really uncomfortable problems. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Rather than yeah, engage and <laughs> you know it's and it and it's hard it's hard to think about these things, but it's really worthwhile yeah. in order to get a you know better sense of what's going on and how it affects us. So. Yeah, because if if you would just offload this responsibility, then we're not really solving the problems, right? We're just asking somebody else to solve the problem by stealing money from our neighbors, and then somehow we get to feel good about that. And I don't know I just don't think that's a good system. Doesn't sound very ethical. <laughs> Unfortunately, it seems to be the best that we have at the moment. You know, there's like the the argument is not there is uh, some nirvana that doesn't have problems, yeah. but it's just like you know I think the outcome is less important than the directionality. If we're moving in the correct direction, I think that's a better system than trying to figure out what's the best and just doing that. You know, because mm-hmm. you're never really going to find like, the perfect system. I, I don't even imagine that would look like anything recognizable. You know, yeah, freedom can be messy, but mm-hmm. it's still the most moral way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right about yeah putting it in a different, in a better direction. Yeah. So if if we can that. take from this how to have better relationships with other people that are not based on control, I think over time we'll all just become less complicit in controlling regimes. Right. Hmm. It's like well, I can get along with everybody fine. I don't need anybody to tell me to get along with people because I inherently see the benefit. Everything is better when we all get along. But someone sticking a gun to your head and saying, get along, that's not the same thing. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think if we all have, I guess, more sorted out selves, we all have more sorted out relationships, Mm -hmm. everything else Mm -hmm. sort of falls into place from there, right? I think that's a better direction to go than trying to create the perfect system that creates the perfect relationships that then creates the perfect individual. I think if you go that direction, you end up with a pile of bodies 150 million high, like we saw in the last century. So maybe we can avoid that <laughs> and try to try to go mm. the other way, right? Start from yourself, fix mm. your relationships, fix your neighborhood, fix your community, and then go that way. Start with, yeah, the individual, yourself, and the desire. Yeah. That seems to be a much more sustainable situation than, well, let's just all vote on a system that goes the other way. It starts with the big tyrannical state and then works backwards towards the individual through all their groups and relationships. And No, it's far mm-hmm. too complicated of a system to work that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, did you have anything else you wanted to, uh, to add here, Tim? Well, I just hope that this uh, discussion helped um, illuminate certain aspects about uh about control because i think it's something you know we can see pretty clearly um in our in our personal lives you know and it's it's just i think something very important to be aware of and also um you know since boundaries they're more of a conceptual thing um 
I I hope that uh, yeah our listeners are able to apply that and develop um, healthier sustainable relationships. So. Fantastic. All right. Well, thanks again, guys, for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the Sorted Skeptics.